know that 9 out of 10 podcasts can't read your mind? It's true. We're one of them. We don't know what you're thinking. When you have a problem at work, we don't know. We just don't know. We can't read your mind. But you could tell us. So it'd be like sort of telepathy. If you like filled out a survey, that's in the show notes. And then you could tell us what you want more of, what kind of problems you're facing at work, what kind of stuff you want to hear about, and other things. And then who you want to hear more about, things like that. And that way it'll be like sort of like we're reading your mind, right? Because we'll know, we'll know you, we'll understand you, we'll understand your problems, and we'll be able to help you with those. We want that. We care about you. Let us help. I'm Chris Fritz, and I endorse this message. Hey everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Alex, and today on our panel we have Ari. Hello. And Tessa. Bonjour. Fancy. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. And our special guest for this episode is Eduardo, who is a member of the View core team. Introduce yourself, Eduardo. Hi, everyone. Yeah, apart from being a core team member, I'm a freelance. I live in Paris, I'm from Spain, and I love languages, cultures, and programming, and the router, <laughs> client-side routing, not the network ones. Routing is your passion. I guess so. You came. <laughs> routing design is, is his passion. Awesome. Well, all right. So we're going to start off sort of with a roundtable question here. Tessa, Ari, Eduardo, have any of you ever used a like a global store or like some sort of like global data storage method for view at all like has has anybody like an here event bus no no not like <laughs> an event, event bus. bus you know something more um uh, less bad uh <laughs> oh, local storage yeah really like well. local storage but like not not necessarily persistent right like maybe like oh, redux I, yeah redux like redux but for view right like has anybody anybody ever done anything like that I think I sometimes use this thing called Vuex. I don't know. Oh yeah, I think I've heard of that yeah. before. It seems like a thing. How about you, Tessa? Have you have you used anything? I did use it a while ago. I haven't used it recently. I definitely have played a lot with Vuex and there's a lot of great things about it, but sometimes I want to be able to just like break it up into smaller pieces. Modules. How about you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, with <laughs> modules. Um, how about you, Eduardo? Have you ever worked with any like sort of state store mechanism type thing or anything like that? Yeah, my clients and in my applications, they usually have rights mm -hmm. for the good and for the bad. So that means they use it when they shouldn't. And also they use it when they need it, <laughs> but they put too many things in it usually. Uh, it gets quite out of, out of hand very often. I haven't seen people successfully use it with TypeScript either mm -hmm. or it's a mess a typing mess with a lot of manual typing going on mm -hmm. and so since the end of 2019 I started working on this prototype called Pina 
Oh, interesting. So is so Pinya is sort of a it's a store type mechanism like Vuex, but it's different. Yeah, it's a state management solution. Very very simple, very low level. Like to scale down, as I like to say, and try to scale up as well. But it really uh, tries to stay as close as the actions state and getters model. It's not flux anymore. Like it's not even UX. Is it really flux? I'm not sure. But flux is over complicated. We realize it now. I mean, just in years. And it is something that worked with TypeScript. I really wanted to experiment with this idea. So I've been experimenting since the composition API, which did open a few uh, new gates for the developers for us to um, pass data around and simplify things quite a bit while still having the TypeScript automatic inferring of TypeScript quite everywhere, pretty much, which wasn't the case with APIs like the one with UX or and three, I mean, three, because you have these magic strings and you inject everywhere. You have a dollar store, but your application is not aware of the type of the store unless you explicitly put it somewhere. And with a composition API, that's not a longer problem because you have functions that return something. So everything is pretty much inferred over time. So the idea is to leverage that and make sure that the user can enjoy not only the type to support, but also a compilation with the least amount of effort from themselves. Okay, cool. So Pinya is like a composition API style thing. Does it work with Vue 2 or is it only Vue 3? So it works with both Vue 2 and Vue 3. So it has the same, it has the same API except for the installation, which is different in Vue 3 because you had to do a app.use and in Vue 2, you, you do a view.use and you also have to inject the Pinya. That would be like the root store for UX. You have to inject it at the, the root of the application. The same you do with the router and the store, which by the way, it's pretty much the same API. You use a plugin and you inject the instance at the, on the root and it's the same change from view two and view three. And thanks to, uh, the composition API library works for view two. Unfortunately, I, I have to maintain two code bases because I have a few differences that I'm afraid I will, there are a few differences I cannot get working because I don't, the same features do not exist on U2. Like for example, on U3, on the watchers, you have a debugger event. So you get only in death mode, you get a lot of information about what change and how. So you can use the information in the dev tools and provide a lot of information about what was the past state and the new state or the partial past state and the partial new state that mutations is happening. It is, it's changing. It sounds like it's view specific. Like I couldn't use this in Angular or Svelte or something. It's really tailored for you. I never thought about using it somewhere else because I don't really care about the other frameworks. <laughs> but, I mean, on, on this show, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, I of course, if I'm on the core team of you, I'm not gonna work too much for the other things. But I think the principles could be adapted to other frameworks. They're really not complicated. It really maps to a component, a view component though, like methods, data, and computed. That's pretty much Pinya's store. Okay, cool. Now you were saying, so with Pinya, you still have to sort of inject it at the top level. You were saying, is there any benefit to using outside of, you know, the obvious like TypeScript hinting definitions and all of these like fantastic things? Is there anything that 
makes it better or different from using Vuex? Like what what about it is going to be the thing that like goes, oh, okay, this is why I should use Pinya instead of Vuex. One of my ideas also with Pinya is to bring some of the good practices I've accumulated or seen across project or brought through other projects. And I've designed the API to make it work out of the box, so to say. So for example, everybody divide, I mean, not everybody, but most applications divide their stores in modules because it helps to keep them organized. And nesting modules is something that is often, I've seen it more complicated than actually useful in, in code bases. But module is something that most code bases that were successfully splitting their logic and using a store, having actually enjoyed using the store, were doing. So in Pinia, you have the modules. Every, everything is a module, basically. And also something that people were doing was dynamically registering the modules of a store. And you had to do a lot of extra code to make that work. But it did make sense because the same way you lazy load a page, you want to lazy load the store with it. So in Pinia, the way it's designed is that by its usage, the way it's used is going to be lazy load automatically. So you don't have to do absolutely anything. All the stores are like modules. They are separated. They are different from each other. You can also use, use them into each other, so to say. Uh, the only exception being cross usage between two modules in which scenarios you probably have to create another store that references both of them. But that's like the most advanced use case, I think, for these kind of scenarios. And apart from that, it also brings all the pain points that you had in Vuex. Like everybody was complaining, not everybody again, but no, I think we, people, I think all of us are complaining about some <laughs> things in Vuex. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, but um, yes, even my hamster is complaining yeah, about hamster. Vuex every night. VS Code complains a lot about the type errors, uh, also. No, but uh, the mutations was a topic that people. I've seen so many discussions that didn't make sense. And uh, the whole uh, the whole thing at the beginning was because of the DevTools, right? And to be able... It's also because it comes from Flux, the, the implementation. You want to have a centralized solution that dispatches the, the modifications to the state. So that's the limitation. But why do you need that? Like, what, what is the actual utility of doing so? And one of them was the DevTools, being able to track every change and being able to um, have some kind of timeline or being able to uh, apply the changes in one after the other. But we don't really need to do that with the proxies because with proxies, we can detect whenever you change something, whenever you write or somewhere. And view in its code already does that. I don't even need to do anything specific in Pinia's code. I mean, a few tricks there happen there, but <laughs> everything is mostly just view three. So limitations, people were sometimes even creating actions to call mutations. I've seen projects with people forcing themselves to Guilty. never use mutations <laughs> nor state. So they were never directly accessing the state. They were always creating getters and actions to call just a mutation. So not only mutations are by design extremely verbose, because very often you're just saying state dot user equals the payload user that you pass as an argument. Sometimes you're doing a push. Sometimes if you're lucky, you're doing a find and then you're removing something. Wow, you have three lines of code. Uh, you, your mutation now is actually useful. But most of the time, you're just setting things and removing things from the state. And so having to create an action for that and then call the action increases the verbosity even more. 
And then the getters, if you're not doing anything to a state, it's the same. So that's twice the amount of herbosity or nothing at all because it doesn't bring anything to the dev tools. Doesn't, it's just a convention that you can choose to follow and that we never even encourage in the documentation. <laughs> I like to create entirely new object structures within my state by using view set a lot just to make things confusing for everyone, but it makes it a whole lot easier to look things up. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still a good use case. I mean, there are a lot of cases like a cache with entries and you need to use view set in view two to make it work. In view three, you don't even, you don't need to, but yeah, I've done that too. It's pretty normal. I would say it's pretty. Okay, good. Cause here I thought I was like abusing it, but I'm like, but it works. Using view set. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can actually abuse view set because it does have a performance occurrence. But sometimes you don't have another way. So in those scenarios, it's completely fine. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely times that I've done some things where <laughs> I've gone back and looked at it and gone, oh, Alex, why did you do this? <laughs> why? I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> Event bus. <laughs> Event bus on you, yeah. Not me. No regrets. So here I thought I was making a mistake. But what mistakes do you see people make with Vuex pretty commonly? Like what anti-patterns do you see a lot? I've seen people not use Vuexet when they needed to. So breaking the reactivity chain very often. And not realizing it's broken. I've seen people putting state that should be in a component in the store. Something that is, I mean, we probably are done that one, but at some point. Yeah, you 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 go, this is going to be used everywhere, and then everywhere. it never <laughs> is. <laughs> exactly. The space for forever is still very like, short. Like, you cannot mess up too many things because there are not that many places where you can mess it up. Follow-up question. Does Pina in any way discourage some of those bad practices? Nope. I don't think those ones are discouraged <laughs> by any store solution because uh, I think any store solution you can still put things that you don't need. You have to and give you can them still some store solution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can you cannot make development that easy. You have to give people something to mess up and then be happy about fixing their bugs. It doesn't matter how much structure you give someone; someone's going to figure out a way to do a bad job at it. So. <laughs> oh, always. We can make like a VS Code extension, like Clippy for Pina, that like every, like Pippy. And like every time somebody goes to put something in Pina, it's like, are you sure this belongs in Pina and not in your component? Like every single time, I'm sure it won't get old. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel did, like that might be good training wheels, to be totally honest, just to, to make sure people are considering things. And, you know, eventually they could probably disable it because it's in their head anyway, every time. Yeah. Before we get too deep into Pina, one thing that I was curious about, because I, f I feel like some of the changes we're talking about are things that I had heard might go into Vuex 4 originally. Can you talk a bit, like we talked about why Pina, but I want to know like why Pina as opposed to like there was some discussion with people thinking they could use the composition API instead of Vuex, like just completely switch or like why not make these changes as like a fork of Vuex? It cannot be a fork of Vuex because the whole structure is completely different. The whole architecture is completely different. So it would be a waste of time to refactor that code. And it would make more sense to completely rewrite it. And 
beside that, the, the code base for Vuex is not that big. It doesn't have that many lines of code. Comparing the the store like Vuex or Pinion to uh, the composition API, the difference is mainly about, I would say, server-side rendering and DevTools. So those are the two main things that you will not get if you use the just raw composition API, because that's pretty much <laughs> what Pinion is doing is handling the server-side rendering for you, the serialization, and the DevTools then to help you develop. But with the Composition API, you st should still get most of the typing out of the box. You can create functions, you can create a state with a ref or a reactive, and then just put things and work with that. But that won't work for server-side rendering. You have to create something to make it work. So you have one state, one request. For each request, you have a new state generated. Then there is also another problem. <laughs> in Right now in Vue 3, the place where a ref or a reactive is created is problematic. I and mean, it's problematic. It's, it's going to tie the lifespan or the reactivity or just to say, make the, the thing work to the component where it's called, if it's called inside a component. So right now, if you call ref, for example, to create a, a data inside of the setup of a component, once the component is destroyed, so imagine you navigate from one page to another, the whole view is steer down the object that you have that you created inside of the setup. If you somehow save the reference somewhere else, which will be the case for a store because it has to be global. So you want to keep that state across different pages. That state won't be reactive anymore. It got broke, teared down by the component because it was tied to the component. There are a few exceptions because I, I'm not completely sure, but I think that you is smart enough to move some of the references that you create if you put them in another context that is global, they're going to make the ref global. So they're not going to be tied to the component. But I'm, I'm not completely sure about that. So I don't want to <laughs> create any assumption on, on that one. So that's another problem that you find is that if you want to create your stores on the fly as you need them, instead of creating everything from the very beginning, which can have a cost, you cannot really do it <laughs> unless you use you have to get into very dirty hacks to uh, be able to create the state of a store dynamically based on some page being visited, which means creating a component. So you will have to create the state outside of the component somehow before visiting the page. If you have the router, if you don't have the router, then good luck with that. And <laughs> And then you have also the computer, which are the, they are created for the getters and anything else you attach to the store. If you attach a reference that is inside of, an, inside of a component, you can lose it. So yeah, that's also something that can fail. Trying to do it just from like composition API standpoint and like provide injecting it, you'd still have to sort of define everything kind of at the top level of your application and have it sort of trickle down, you wouldn't be able to effectively, like if you're wanting to be like sibling components, then whichever sibling component creates it would potentially be the one if that sibling component gets destroyed, it would screw up your data for everything else, basically is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, especially for the computer properties. If you create a computer property instead of a setup function, mm -hmm. which can happen indirectly, then that computer property will no longer be reactive if the component is destroyed. So in Pinya, what I do is I, I recreate store. I recreate a computed every time you call use store. 
which is a bit expensive, but I don't have a way yet. I mean, I, I, I use a small optimization where I provide the store if I can. And so it can be used by others, but it's not perfect. So the idea is to have this API called effect scope, which is in RFC and Vuex is waiting for that RFC to be published. And Pina will adapt. I mean, we will use the, the API once it's out also. Cool. Yeah, this is really, this is really. And DevTools, you really need to see them for yourself to actually. Wait, so now do I have to go install a separate extension for the DevTools for this thing? Or are you saying that it's included, works with the Vue DevTools? It works with the Vue DevTools. So the, the funny thing is, Pina initially, I hacked into the, I mean, I hacked, I. <laughs> Didn't hack anything. I, I, I just read the source code of the DevTools and Vuex and I hijacked, that's the word. I hijacked the different hooks that were being called by Vuex and the DevTools. So it basically replaces Vuex <laughs> DevTools uh, on the old DevTools. And it works even with the replace date and everything. That's funny. But the cool thing is with the new beta that Guillaume has been working on for so long, because you have an API that is exposed, you have a, another package called DevTools API. And so any library can use that, right? And they can add anything to the, to the DevTools. And it's pretty cool. You can add state to, to components when you inspect them. You can add your own inspector. So for example, for the router, you can see a book of all the routes and you can try to match them. You can see which one is active, if there is any, and you can search them. You can test parameters and stuff. And you also get to add custom um, tags on the tree view of components. And you can add custom actions now as well. So that's pretty cool. So for example, on the Pina DevTools, download the state as a JSON or upload. Upload. You don't really upload, but you give to the DevTools a JSON file and it loads the state. All of these was created by Guillaume. And then I think that we were giving some feedback as we were using the API. I was so excited when he came out with the idea and with the first version that I used for the router and being able to just have the control from the package about what is happening in the DevTools, no longer having to, to do a pull request in the DevTools, wait for the DevTools to merge, release a new version of the DevTools, which I, I know it's a pain point for Guillaume, especially on, I think Firefox is a pain for it. Like they are behind in a few versions because they take so long. And Google Chrome, it depends. And usually it's, it goes fast. Oh, no, no. With Firefox, you can download it. So it's even worse because it's, he's still waiting to be able to publish on the marketplace, marketplace or whatever it's called, the plugin store. Hmm. Interesting. There is another feature, which is a timeline, which is really nice. It looks really cool too. <laughs> so you have a few dots that you can see in a, in a timeline and basically DevTools by themselves already have component events. Now he just added performance. You can see it's pretty much a flame chart, but for your components. But you have component events, keyboard events, and you can add your own timelines and you can add events to them and add state to them. And you can add actions <laughs> to this state because it's the same kind of state that you add to a component. So you have a lot of APIs that just look the same and you can even group actions and you can have multiple layers of actions running at the same time. So that's pretty cool. So this is very abstract, just saying the words. One needs to see a screenshot of it to make sense out of it. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like I need to go get the beta of the dev tools and play with it. And really oh, yeah, and it works for Vue too, also. 
Oh, it works for Vue 2 now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a bit slow. I tried it with a few applications and may have some performance issues, but I think Yum is really figuring that out. But for Vue 3, it works very well. It's pretty powerful. I heard a lot of the major browser vendors are working on establishing some kind of global API for browser extensions so that theoretically you could write one and it would work across all of them. Hopefully that would make things easier and not harder in the future. I think it was, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert on the extension topic, young would be, but I remember that it was at Microsoft four or three years, three years, no, yeah, two or three years ago, they told me that they started something like that, like an initiative to make all the browsers have these the same extension API. And to, to a certain point, they do have things in common. Like they do have some of the APIs that are the same. For, from uh, As a matter of fact, the, the DevTools API that Yum developed works, I think it's the same code base for Firefox and from and then Safari, I don't know, Safari is very special. Yeah, I think Safari has some extra like Swift stuff that you have to wrap around it or something. So. <laughs> what was that? It's faster? Is that what you said? <laughs> server-side rendering and routing is it like it's easier to like subscribe and or like add a store per route or something or like it handles that better or it's it's transparent i would say you don't get to think about it you just import the functions so you just import the stores whenever you want to use them they are functions so they will handle the server-side rendering automatically and because you import the store where, wherever you need it, and then you lazy load at, at the route level, the code splitting would just come out of the box for free. So you don't have to do anything. You don't even have to think about it. The dynamic registration, registering of stores is also automatic. You don't have to think about it. I don't, I don't have to do any like pinya.load module no. name. You actually, Almost module. never use Pina. You you create a you create Pina and you give that to the root app and that's yeah. it pretty much. That's it. Uh, and then you just you set it and forget it and then never use it. Yeah, you have to. You can use it for to manually use a store outside of any setup function and everything because that's how it recognizes. Because you create one Pina instance for every application that you run, for every request on server side rendering. So you create one application on server side render for. For every request and you create a pinya instance as well and that's what is used to gather all the states of all the different stores together and to make sure that you use the same state for one application but you can still use the same pinya for two applications if you want and share the state <laughs> you can share the same state on two um, different applications running on the same web page for example if you have two applications running on more portions of the page instead of having one single spa I have an entire demo solitaire application that uses Vuex in that manner that I have four, there's like four or five different view instances on the page and they all share a Vuex store. So it'd be interesting to switch it over to Pinya and like get, get it more modularized. So it's like, it's not even the entire, each application uses the entire thing. It only uses the pieces that it needs to. Oh yeah. This is making me want to have like, like, you know how there's awesome view, for example, to show you like different ways that people are using view, like different ways that people are using Pina and like different interesting architectures that they set up and you could call it like Pinterest or something. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be fun. But how I would, would you spell it? 
how you spell what? Pinyasa? Pinterest, because it would literally be Pinterest. I did try to keep an eye on, I tried to do some searches on on Discord. I search every day for Pinya just to see if people are asking questions and see what they're doing. Because we don't have a channel like the router where I can keep an eye of problems that people are arising and see what improvements I can come up with in the API. It does take more time than, it's not um, the return on investment that we say that in English. Mm -hmm. It's very low, (laughs) let's say. But uh, still interesting, I think. It's still worth to get that, I guess, the 20% for the 80%. I'm just trying to get to the last percent of the proofing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you using Pina in production? And I don't have any application in production myself. I work for clients and I know people who are using it. And But I don't have my applications. Mm-hmm. So I, I know the problems well because I work with different clients and... I've seen different applications. I've seen different ways of doing things. So I face the different problems. I face different teams, different different application architectures. So that's what I use. I use that knowledge to build the APIs that could work in in all these scenarios. And then I try to share it with the world. And Pina did take like people did enjoy Pina because I think people were suffering from the verbosity of mutations, who were doomed with the mutations and having to write all these functions and having to use the caps lock so often because <laughs> people like to use For mutations in caps lock. Yeah. But you don't need to, by the way. You can just call a mutation, but... set something, and you can call an action the same name as a mutation as well. Right. Yeah. And they oh, will I never the uh, collide because that's... But they'll collide in my brain. Oh. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like to try to make it like make sense somehow if they share the same name. So I'm like, yeah, one is the action version. Anyway. Yeah. But if they're the same casing, nope, done oh, for. Oh, man. But imagine if you had, if the only distinction was the case, like one is lowercase, one is uppercase, you just got to remember which is which, like. <laughs> well, you see, with these, we camel case these. And with these, Screaming we, uh, snake we snake, snake case. case. <laughs> we, we underscore Screaming snake case. case them. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, that's the difference. Screaming they're both lowercase, but like outside of that, it's. I was curious if you could talk more about like how do you make that transition from like some experiment I'm just trying out on my own to like this is something that people can use at their company because like I feel like you've done that with Vue Router and you work on Vue so how do you know if something is ready for production if that makes sense? Is it a gut feel? Is that the name? Yeah, gut feeling. Yep. Yeah, intuition. Yeah, that would be the other word. Say. So uh, you can actually measure some of these things. But you don't need to because it depends on the surface API that users are going to use. For example, with Vue 3, you or Vue, uh, people are going to use it in very, very different ways. So you're, they're always going to find different bugs, like edge cases that were not thought about. So when Vue came out, V3 came out, there were a lot of bug reports at the beginning. And there are still some bug reports. And most of them were edge cases. With time, you will, we were seeing more edge cases and less critical bugs, I would say. And with things like the router, the router is also special because uh, it's a bit more complicated, but the smaller the API is and the more specific your library is to a specific part section of your application. So to say, so for the, for example, uh, the state management is one section of the application 
the routing is one section, but instead of the routing, you can use a lot of the other things of the application, like uh, some classes to some styling. The state management can also go, you can also interact with it inside of the navigation. So there is more room for bugs in that aspect. But for Vue, you also have the compiler, you have so many, so many things. Uh, the code base for Vue is quite complex, right? It has a lot of things. The code base for Vue router is so far from that complexity and Pinia is even less. Some of the code is a bit complicated because of the TypeScript things and the generics, but that's just TypeScript life. So when I was on, working on Vue router and I was checking the download, see if people download the new version. And then I was checking all the, the bug reports by people, see people were finding bugs. And I was trying myself. The way I think, I really think about a lot of edge cases in my mind, just because I like seeing all these possibilities in my brain. So I think I found all the edge cases by just thinking and just spending time. Like just time passes by and I'm doing something and I think about, uh, oh, I could do a return of uh, redirect here. And at the same time, I will click here and it will do something else and maybe it breaks and I check it and maybe it breaks and I fix it. I think I had a lot, a lot of bugs like that. And then I was seeing that people were reporting very few bugs. So I consider that that made your router stable. Mm. I also spent more than a year <laughs> working on the router, yeah. on the rewrite. So that gave me a lot of time to uh, think about it, cases. So <laughs> yeah. For Pina, it's more complicated, though, because it doesn't have that use base. Right. Right. Router has a lot of downloads. Uh, it's the de facto solution for routing in view. So, of course, people are going to use it. But Pina is not. It's not a de facto solution. It's just an experiment at the beginning. So you only get a few users that are adventurers. And usually, they're also more experienced. So they are very different. You can kind of base yourself only on that metric, mm-hmm. right? Because these people usually know JavaScript very well or do not make beginner mistakes anymore, know how to debug problems. So at the beginning, it's a bit hard because you only get users like that. And then you get a few users that are more uh, beginners and they and you can see the library from another perspective you were not used to. Because also, as you're developing the, uh, something, you know the thing by heart. If it's an application library, it doesn't matter. You don't see the problems with the implementation you have for the APIs. And so I was checking the downloads and I was seeing that a few people were using it. Uh, at the beginning, not a lot of people were using it. And I was just using it in my in my own projects, my own pet projects. And it's just because I like to think about the different possibilities, the different ways to use an application. I spent time designing the applications as well and thinking about all the different versions of usage I can find. So for, for Pina, it was it was basically just research. I was just doing the research until I felt happy with the, the final API that resulted from that. And that's when I, I tried to do some more um, publicity, like talking more about it so people could use it if they like it. I was keeping an eye every day to um, the issues to make sure that I could resolve any bugs so it wouldn't block any anybody. So if I see a bug report and I can merge it right away and release a patch right away, then the, they can keep trying the library. So I will keep them from dropping and just giving up on the library so they will test longer. And I think I did the same for Pina for router, but just with less people. 
So I was seeing that there were not very forwards. People were asking less questions and the documentation was getting, uh, covering more things. So I got to that point where people can actually use it. And I think sometimes you also need to push the thing a little bit because if you want to get more users, you, you need to announce the thing. You need to talk about the thing and you need to say, Hey, yes, you can use it. If you keep your thing as your library as something that is not ready for production too long, well, a lot of people are just going to pass by and not use it. Not even for the pet projects because they, most people don't have pet projects. I even think. though my hamster keeps screaming yeah. about Vuex, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there, pet project. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I first heard about Pina when you tweeted about Kelly Mahoney designing the logo. Oh, yeah. So speaking of the docs, I don't I don't know if this is the edge case you mentioned earlier, but one thing that I found a bit confusing was in the composing stores section of the cookbook, where it's talking about two or more stores using each other versus one store using another store. So is that eight store A is using store B and store B is using store A or like store A is using stores B and C? I'm not sure if I'm asking my question clearly, but I'm just confused about the difference between two or more stores using each other versus store using another store what i call composing stores we're having stores that use each other and there is one route to follow ah yeah <laughs> have to read my jokes and stuff. so if we have one store that uses another store and that store doesn't use the first store you can just it's like nesting basically so you can call use my other store inside of my first store inside of actions and and getters. And I was thinking of adding a stores option like UX5, maybe that allows you to have the access to the stores. And I think that will also allow the cross usage between two stores. So two stores using each other without having to create a third store. I'm not even sure about the rule. Like I know that at some point it was necessary because there was something that wouldn't work otherwise, but I'm not completely sure if it's still the case. The idea is if you have, for example, a user store and a card store, you might need to use both. So the card store inside of user store and the user store inside of card store. And the idea is to define a third store that does all the actions and everything that is that requires to have both stores. I need to stress test these a little bit more. It's more of a safe, safer approach, I would say. Because it's not quite a circular dependency. It's more like a, like a circular or like a Mobius. It's circular. Yeah, Mobius that's the word. Strip that's the word. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you don't know if your circular <laughs> dependency is going to be a, is good. like if I have a getter that's using a getter from another thing and then that getter is using something, that same getter from the first one, then it, it could create an infinite loop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking of dependencies, like how do you how do you balance all of these different open source projects and then like your client work and then also like your life? I'm getting to a good point now, <laughs> but I, I wish I could learn more from other people. At this point, I'm taking maximum three days of bed work, like client work per month. And sometimes I take 10 days and then I don't work for, with, for clients for two months or three months. And I, I try to rely on my open collect, uh, my GitHub sponsors as much as I can. And then I have some affiliate programs. So that's great. I'm starting, uh, I started this year, not last year, like the ads and then having some links on the documentation. Other companies like Vue School, Vue Mastery, who, uh, use Vue, Vue Router, they get some of the money back. So that's great. And I wish 
big companies that are, there are companies using view and building components on top of view and they are just giving back very very little mm. but even though they are selling libraries of components oh, no. using view and they are like have a sponsor maybe or something like that just you know to a shame i guess i don't know yeah i try to be quite strict with my social life i mean the rest like my non-work like after after work i try to stop at 6 6 30 i try to not work on weekends I do have this addiction to the GitHub notifications, I think. <laughs> I get check them. I check the application very often. So when I take holidays, I, I try to disconnect. I don't take very often holidays, but I try not to look at the application or not open the issues. But I still, if I have a blank, like it's the same when you go to the toilet and you're looking Instagram or something, well, I look GitHub notifications <laughs> instead. Right? More like hub. And so... Sorry. Yeah, I close issues <laughs> from the throne. As you say, what? Sorry? I said more like hub. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> yes. <it's>, uh... <laughs> so, and I, and I do try to get the, to, tr to work the most on open source as much as I can. But I think it's important, and I think I will keep working for a client from time to time because it helps me to uh, dive again in applications, see how people are using the the things I build and see the problems that they are facing by myself because I will face the problems they are seeing. And I think that's very helpful. And it's, it's interesting because it's a frustration. Like it's, I get the frustration of working there. Also, they are expecting a lot from you because, well, you're on the core team. You should know everything about you. And, that's the law. and it's true. I do, that's the law. <laughs> it's true. I do know a lot of things and, and I, it's something I, I like the, all the problem uh, solving uh, front end applications, and I've been working with you for a long time. So of course, I, there is a lot of things that I I've seen, and so that experience is very useful. But it's still frustrating, right, to have all the the, something, the bugs and everything, and you're working on a code base that you don't know. You work for just a few days, and you try to figure out the problems that they had had for months <laughs> on a code base that you don't know. So it's quite tiring, I would say. And that's why it's important to also have the life balance. I think other developers like Evan Yu and Guillaume probably do this very well too. I don't know how well they do. I know, I, I'm pretty sure that Evan Yu handles this very well. That I remember he talked about this. He said a few years ago already he was handling this very well. We all know Ben is not though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, ben ben all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He's always there. I literally booked time with him just to make him take a break. It's <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Very nice of you. It depends on the people, right? Like different people like different things, but the interactions you have in open source are not always nice. So it can also be tiring that way. You don't know how people are trying to communicate with you. It's also the barrier languages of all the people and how people communicate. I've grown from that a lot, but sometimes I was taking things very, not personally, but I was getting offended by, by things because I was, because it was hard. Even if you, even if you know the other person doesn't speak the language, sometimes it's not clear. Like what, what is, if there are short sentences, they can be very rough. And having that in the morning is the worst because you don't want that energy yeah. at the very beginning of the morning at the day, which might be the end of the day for them. 
I think at the end of the day, it's also bad because you don't even just any time of day deal with it. You're like, oh. yeah, you're thinking about it all night, and then you wake up in the morning, you're still thinking about it, and you're like, <laughs> and you're having your coffee, and you're like, meh, 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 meh. so being able to disconnect from that and doing other things is nice too. Like there is a nice feeling of uh, letting go, not feeling the the need or responsibility to uh, immediately answer uh, issue. And I think I haven't been able to completely let go of that thing. And I, I feel like Evan did a long time ago. I think that's probably a fair assessment. <laughs> but it's like the, the notifications on Twitter or, or Instagram. So for example, Twitter, I completely let that go like a long time ago. I don't care at all about the follower count or the notification or the retweets or the likes. I really don't care. I don't do anything to really engage too much. I only engage on things that I find interesting and topics I want to discuss and mostly about computer science, I mean, programming and web development. But GitHub notification, that's a whole different story. <laughs> it really hits the spot for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I don't look at mine at all. I know. If we need to get your attention, we should file an issue somewhere just being like, hey, do you want to hang out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. And so with that, Eduardo, where can people find you on the internet? The answer is GitHub. The answer is GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but where specifically on GitHub? Can you... Yeah. Now on Twitter, uh, my handle is Posva, and I do check the Twitter, even though I, I check it every day. And also on Discord, I'm there very often. I check Discord all the, every day as well for questions on Vroter. And the Viewland Discord, right? Yeah, Viewland, sorry. It's like chat.gjs.org. That's the link to join. And on GitHub as well. Cool. <laughs> on my favorite yeah. repositories. <laughs> Wait, before we continue, I want to know, because I realized I've always had this question I've just never asked. Why POSVA? Oh, it's a very old thing. When I started having a nickname on the internet, so I was probably 11 or 12, it's something in Spanish uh, from a small TV show that was fun. That was called Cruci Raya. The name doesn't really matter. It was just a show that was funny. There were two guys that were in body roles and do sketches. And they don't do it anymore, but it was on for a long time. In one of the sketches, one of the other guys was an old lady. I, I was always answering, which is just, it's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> no, it's just going to say like, no. And so I use that all together, and it's also misspelled in Spanish. Like, it's just a version, like, the correct way will be, pues va a ser que no. And that version is a little, a little bit contracted, like, the same way you said yo for you all, similar to that, right? So okay. it's pues va a ser que no, which is pues instead of pues. And it was too long. And one day, one guy called me pues, and I was like, I like this. This is short. So from that day on, I started using that one everywhere okay. and now it's i've seen people name posva with the last name but i'm still first result on google i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry even posva <laughs> awesome. because it's a real name apparently too i mean anything can be a name right so nice all right so it is now time to move on to this week's pick ari do you want to go first sure i can go first so by the time this is released, this will have been long in the past, but there's always next year. The Eurovision Song Contest. So I watched it for the first time this year and it was so much fun. Like 
most of the songs are so campy and I love campy stuff so much. Some of them were like legit really good. I actually like downloaded them and listened to them in my car. But just like the production value is so good. Like it is so over the top. There's what, 26, 20 something countries <laughs> make it to the semifinals and each country has to do a three minute song. And then in the finals, like people vote as well as I don't totally understand this, but like each country has like a jury and they assign points as well. It's a very complex system, but it also makes it that much more exciting when you're like watching the results come in. Like, I didn't think it was going to be that interesting watching the results, but oh my God, it was. But yeah, I'm sure you can find videos from past ones as well. And there was also that movie on Netflix based on the Eurovision Song Contest that I I think I used as a pick last year. So if you ever get a chance to watch it, highly recommend. So much fun. I think I used it. Yeah. And I heard that this year they got the Yaya yeah, yeah, Ding Dong guy from the movie. Yes. No, that part was so amazing. <laughs> All right. Apparently I need to go watch this movie now. So uh, yes. What I was talking about. The music is very catchy. Just warning you in advance. Good to know. All right. Tessa, do you want to go next? Yes, but I'm ambivalent about both my picks today. Lately, I've been playing this game Overland. I believe it's a roguelike or roguelike-esque, if it's not roguelike enough to be a roguelike. It's a post-apocalyptic game where you're like traveling across the US. I guess you're just trying to get to the other side. I don't know. There's not this really is Oregon a story, Trail so too. No. <laughs> it's it's kind Sorry. of it's slower. It's like a puzzle game. Also, I heard the Oregon Trail release on the Apple Arcade is really good because they consulted with like indigenous people. But yeah, basically, you're like traveling with comrades or not your choice. And it's like Traffic Jam or any of those games where you're like in a tight spot and you're trying to get from one side of the map to the other side of the map. I can't really say that it's fun, but I keep playing it. So uh, (laughs) there's my endorsement for that. The design is nice and there's dogs. So if you like dogs, well, there you go. Can you pet the dog? That's the question. You can. You can. Oh, wait. Yes. Yes, you can. You can pet the dog. Yes. All right. I'm okay, in. I, clearly, I have not yet pet the dog, but you can. Okay. And then the other the other recommendation is like Hori has released a line of Nintendo Switch accessories. So right now I'm trying out the Switch Pad Pro with like the Pikachu Eevee edition, which I think the colors are super cute. But I, I also think maybe it's better for like bigger hands or if you tend to hold the controllers in a different place because the shoulder buttons and stuff are a bit high. But it is more comfortable for my palms to hold it than like the default controllers. So yeah, they have two two different ones for that. And they also have special Joy-Cons too, but only for the left side, which is kind of weird. So uh, yeah, those are, those are my picks. Cool. Eduardo, do you want to go next? I don't have many picks. I only have one. It's this video game called Pico Nico, which is completely absurd. Uh, really cute, all flat colors. Because it's on the Switch. Apparently, it's on other platforms. I didn't know it was on Steam, and I don't know what each and GOG is. But I don't know what GOG is either. But I just put it there. <laughs> but it's uh it's a small uh, game with a funny story, completely absurd, very short, all public, and have a few memes inside as well. And you're just uh, with some physics, very uh, round shapes all around, very colorful as well. It's a quick, very happy game overall. So if you want to have a break, really nice. Yeah, I'm going to try that. Not, not too hard either. It's not very expensive either. Cheap one. 
Awesome. Well, that leaves me. And my pick this week is a book. And I actually got all the way through a book. Which is super surprising and amazing. So you know it's good. Maybe. So I had the Audible edition of this. Uh, The book is Shadow and Bone by, I'm going to butcher this name, Lee Bardugo. It's fantasy, a little bit steampunk, because there's like rifles and stuff. So it's like, it's not like high fantasy where it's like goblins and elves, right? There's like, it's like, it's all humans, but there's magic and like it's, and it there's like treachery and it's great. It's great. It's good fun. They recently released it as a show on Netflix. I have not watched the show however my wife has been very excited about the show and has read all the books so she so i was like i will get through this book and it was good it was quite enjoyable i'm on the second book of the series uh, siege and storm and maybe that will be a pick in a future episode once i finish it so yeah that is that is my pick this week and that's all for this week's episode if you aren't following us on twitter head on over and find us at enjoy the viewcast Be sure to subscribe to the show in your podcatcher of choice. And if you have time, leave a review. It helps us out a lot. Finally, the first rule of View Club is tell at least five or six of your colleagues about View Club. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. So... You haven't heard from me for a while. I started a thing a while ago where people were sending all sorts of feedback and sometimes stuff not even related to the show to at Gloomy Loomy. You need to stop. If you have feedback, we have a link in the show notes. Send your feedback there. We want to hear from you. You can make the show better. You know, Tell us what you want to hear more of and who you want to hear from. Okay, that's it. Thank you.